Too shrewd by half, with such finesse you wrought, that your own life in your own toils was caught. But long before you died, your heart was slain. And when you died, your spirit walked in vain. Fallen the great house, once so secure in wealth, each scattered member shifting for himself. And half a lifetime's anxious schemes prove no more than the stuff of dreams. Like great buildings tottering crash, like flickering lampwick burns to ash. Your scene of happiness concludes in grief, for worldly bliss is always insecure and brief. to maybe do two more poems. We have talked pretty significantly about uh, Wang Shifeng. Maybe we should do her poem before doing the last one. Is this number nine, Caught by Her Own Cunning? I think that this is... That's a very good translation, but I feel like the Chinese is, is so neatly succinct. So it's Tsong uh, Ming Lei, basically. So Tsong Ming being intelligent, clever. Lei, I mean, literally tired, but in here it means more kind of tangled up in or, or, or um, you know, implicated somehow. Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, the, mm. the title gives that, yeah, a very strong sense of what the, the, the poem is, is about. Uh, shall, I, shall I read the Hawks? Yeah, it, it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> Too shrewd by half, with such finesse you wrought, that your own life in your own toils was caught. But long before you died, your heart was slain. And when you died, your spirit walked in vain. Fallen the great house, once so secure in wealth, each scattered member shifting for himself. And half a lifetime's anxious schemes prove no more than the stuff of dreams. Like great buildings tottering crash, like flickering lampwick burns to ash. Your scene of happiness concludes in grief for worldly bliss is always insecure mm. and brief. And again, I think that that's, a, that's really a superb translation. Um, I agree. Yeah, I, I really felt that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, we, we did say before that sometimes it feels unnatural the way that he tries very hard to make everything rhyme. But this one particularly has this feeling of kind of fable uh, or... Mm. or it has feeling something of like a morality tale to it. I'm not sure exactly why. And so the, the neat rhyming back and forth is very complimentary with that somehow. Can you, can you like hear like green sleeves in, in the background? Or something? <laughs> something like that. Yeah. 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 So maybe, I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe Hawks is, is, is convincing us. Sometimes it really is important to, mm. to preserve the rhyme in, in order to preserve that kind of that, 
that flowing, uh, the flowing sense. I, I almost think rhyming kind of makes you think, yeah, like that, that, that there is a kind of chance to life because rhyming really is a chance operation. And so yeah. you see, you see your own fate being determined by, you know, the, the, the vagaries of the syllables you use that lends it a sense of um, kind of arbitrariness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in, in a like elemental or like an existential register. Yeah. All these poems flow together. You see the, the image of the, of the dream again. Um, this one has some really nice images of, of toppling houses and uh, like scattering, scattering in the wind. I think because um, Wang Shifeng is so central to the the organization of the household that she's a really she's not like she's a real key kind of managerial um, figure. That it makes sense that her poem would take on this architectural yeah. um, valence. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. I've been drinking a, a beer as we read through this, which is just like in our in the story. Bao Yu is slowly uh, imbibing, um, you know, celestial uh, yeah. fluids of various kinds. And so as we <laughs> yeah. go, I'm more and more receptive to the poetry. It's and... very important, isn't it, to to be appropriately uh, to adjust your mental state uh, <laughs> through the application of. Um... <laughs> Uh, it's because it's because it's morning time for you yeah yeah sadly I, but i don't want you to you know ruin your day by by drinking in the morning <laughs> okay. but, uh... but sometimes certainly I'll, I'll i tell you what this evening maybe i'll pour myself a glass of wine and okay. uh, and have a read yeah, have a reread yeah reread um, the stunt yeah, yeah um, absolutely so how, how about we do the last poem um yeah sure sure let's jump onto it and this one's dedicated to this one's important for us right now um because it's dedicated to uh, chinsher or to Madame Chin or Chinka Ching, who, yeah. uh, who whose bed um, Bao Yu is currently sleeping in, right? And so she kind of she brought us into this world. There's a real sense that hmm. all these all these kind of visceral um, these visceral experiences are, are probably being you know, if you want to give like a realist explanation of what's going on, that all these like sensory material are are, are influencing <laughs> his dream material, you know. And so he's smelling all these wonderful smells, and he's remembering these like really sensual paintings. And this is the this is kind of yep. the the fodder for for this really um, elaborate dream. That's one way to give it a kind of yep. a, a realist interpretation. So maybe I guess it's my turn to read the poem. Uh, the the, the yeah, Hawks translation away. has the title as "The Good Things Have an End." Hao uh, Shijun, which is literally "Good Good Things End." Yeah, it's a close translation this time. Um, perfumed was the dust that fell from painted beams where springtime ended her sportive heart and amorous looks the ruin of a mighty house portended the weakness in the line began with Jing the blame for the decline lay first in Ning but retribution all was love's fashioning Um, it's shorter than the other ones um, yeah. And here the Hawks translation is important um, because basically this is referencing things that don't actually occur in the received version of, of Hong Lu Meng. These are things that mm -hmm. um, are kind of only alluded to uh, in notes um, where, where basically the, the original author uh, intended for Qin Shi to for Madame Chin to commit suicide by hanging herself in the uh, 
Tianshanglo, the the heavenly fragrance pavilion. We can see there's a reference to that in the earlier quatrains. You yeah. know the 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 images accompanied by poems in the register that, that right. uh, Jia Baoyu reads. Exactly. Yeah, this occurred upon the adultery um, with cousin Jen. Um, yeah. And so this incestuous affair or, or semi incestuous affair was discovered mm. and this led to her uh, her suicide which is at least intended to be one of the, the shocking um events of this yeah. of this novel and and this is implied in the first line without being expressly stated isn't it mm-hmm. the painted beam where spring ended perfumed as the dust that fell it's it's in a very indirect way suggesting that um she you know hangs herself from from the um, painted beams Right. From this beam, yeah. I mean, the thing is, that when they talk, when it talks about spring ending, the character used is uh, jin, mm. which is used to mean, which can be used to mean death. And particularly when the word suicide is used, they commonly say zi jin, so self jin. Mm. Um, and I believe that is in fact the word which is used in one of the, uh, when describing the images uh, earlier in the chapter, Bayou sees an image of a woman who has killed herself by hanging and that the exact term used is that so so it's mm. through allusion rather than you know directly stating it that's what's implied isn't it i um, believe so yeah. yeah uh and again the dust is again the same chen that we've seen in a few of these and so the perfumed yeah. dust is uh shang chen it's a beautiful image i think yeah the idea of perfume dust falling is yeah is is lovely and beautiful in a way, isn't it? And it's, it's all the more tragic, I guess, given the the setting. Yeah, I, I wonder. If it also has a, a connotation of maybe incense, or when I think of perfume yeah. dust, I imagine the, the smoke, the, the fragrance. Well, yeah, absolutely. Smoke yeah. emitting and, from uh, incense. And and that character Xiang is the one that's used to mean uh, incense. Uh, so absolutely. Right. The idea of of heaven having a, a wonderful scent, or the gods being. Um, being attracted to the scent of mortals or, or, or of, of noble or meritorious mm. mortals is a really a deep image that I, I think you can trace back to, to the beginning of the transmitted tradition. Even in, in Chu Yuan's poem, Li Sao, th- there's a real mm. heavy emphasis on, on the, this, this communion of, of scent. I think there is a sense maybe that the ancient Grecian gods would be attracted to the scent of... Um, of a human sacrifice, or, or, or like a humans sacrificing, or maybe human sacrifice, humans sacrificing various um, animals or livestock, that yeah. it would be the scent that would attract them. Interesting. Um, okay. We definitely lose that, though, in later, I feel like we lose that in later, in a Christian setting. I think the, the deities have become so abstracted that they wouldn't, uh, their sense of scent... Yeah, they don't perceive the world in the same, in the same way that we do, yeah. not through the same... It's kind of interesting. It, it, it's you don't kind of see and hear in the same way. It's just that knowledge is somehow absorbed or 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 just immediately mm. apprised. I don't know. I, I don't know. That's something to think about. I I really think that adds a certain uh, a certain flavor mm-hmm. yeah. to this whole kind of um, semiotic space. Do we want to say anything more about this poem? Uh, the one thing I would add, one final remark, was that when they say in the final line in the Hawks translation. But retribution all was of love's fashioning. Love there is is Qing, 
we've talked a lot about Ching and how it's like the central kind of conundrum of this novel. And this idea of love's fashioning, again, it seems to be relating Ching to notions of, of fate or, or Yuan, which has also appeared in a lot of these um, a lot of these poems. And it gets back to this, this question of, you know, why you know, why does the stone water the flower? Why does a flower have to repay the debt? Why do we tend to um, conceive of these kinds of relationships based on love and lust in terms of, of this almost like a, like a, a credit and debt system. And, and yeah. what I want to add to that would be, I wonder if that's related to the instability of the the kind of phenomenological experience of, of love and lust as both a, a desire, you know, and a, um, a seeking of pleasure. But there's a real struggle to this experience. And, and it, it almost takes on the, the character of, of pain and there's almost a sense where its desire is desiring to eliminate itself. And I wonder if that's the original yep. or if that's like a primary motivator for these kinds of like weird credit systems that they create. I want to kind of like uh, emphasize that to avoid, you know, an overly or, or a crudely materialist reading of this ideological system at the same time that I, I think a certain materialism is always kind of important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean... They expressly refer to love's debts or passion's debts. I've forgotten earlier, and um, so I, I think it's definitely one way that you should approach, you know, consider consider the reading. It's just to be to be alongside others, but you know, okay, to be read together. Yeah. So should we continue after after the song cycle is finished? I think so. Yeah. There's a lot of really important stuff that happens at the end. I'm glad we still have some time for it. Yeah. 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 So, what happens after the songs finish? Basically, uh, my sense is that with each song, Bao Yu is becoming more and more intoxicated. He's he's listening, you know. He he's conscientious, if nothing else. Yeah. But all this material and these ideas are kind of um, he's experiencing them, he's feeling them, but he doesn't fully understand. Yeah. And it's just it's just an overload, which yeah. is ironic because as readers, we're like, there's a lot going on here, especially as you know, since we're working in foreign languages and working working translations, there's really a lot going on here. Yeah, and so his experience, I think, is the author is ironically um, suggesting that, like, if you're the reader, you're probably having a similar experience, just overly inundated with um, all this, this sensual and sensuous and metaphorical and metaphysical material. And so the singers are about to uh, start a second round of songs, and he has to stop them. And Disenchantment clearly sees that he just can't take it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and we actually. What's interesting here is that we kind of see a... I emphasized in the last episode that um, the events during the day are recapitulated during the dream. It seems to happen again where, just as before, uh, Bao Yu is is tired and he has to rest. Now, as a consequence of all this material, even though he's in the dream, he has to rest again. Yeah, he has to go to sleep in his dream. Right? Yeah. Um, It's it's inception, truly. Um, Dreams within dreams. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, in fairness, that does somewhat reflect the the reader's experience, right? There's, there's, while the poems are beautiful, they leave so much unexplained, and I feel like um, it dependent on 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 it depends f- for different people, but I think everyone has a capacity to, I suppose, endure not fully understanding what's going on in the plot of of a given piece of of, uh, of fiction, on the understanding that will be explained later. But the greater the number of things which you do not understand, 
the greater the sort of mental weight that you carry around. I often think of it that way. And oh. I feel like I, I feel like having got to the end of this, it was interesting, but I didn't certainly on the first reading know what the different poems were referring to that clearly. And mm. um and so yeah, the reaction is quite similar to that of Bao Yu, of one of <laughs> of just slight exhaustion, you know. Um gotta go have a little lie down, you know. Uh, <laughs> have time to digest but there's a twist this time it's not a simple um reiteration it's a um the dialectic has advanced somewhat because this time yeah to his surprise sitting on the bed is a a fairy girl yes in in the hawk's translation yeah um and so i'll I'll read here um her rose fresh beauty reminded him strongly of bao chai but there was also something about her of dayu's delicate charm yeah as he was pondering the meaning of this apparition, he suddenly became aware that disenchantment was addressing him. We spoke before of the, the synthesis of Dai Yu and Bao Chai. Mm-hmm. And now what's emerging is the synthesis form, at least in this chapter, is Lady Chin or Madame Chin herself. Although arguably it's, um, she's referred to as uh, Chinka Ching, which we learn was, her, uh, was actually her, her name um, yeah, as a youth. Yeah, prior yeah, yeah. To, prior to marriage, one that nobody knows, right? And so it's really interesting that she kind of she faded away in the beginning of the story, yeah, beginning of this dream story rather, and then she she merged in the painting and in, in a poem and in a song, but now she's kind of coming together as the as the the synthesis of these of these two main um, love interests. Yeah, so the 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 fairy character Kaoting in this um, sequence is, as you say, simultaneously both Bao Chai and Dai Yu, and at the same time also uh, some kind of embodiment of Lady Qian. And that raises some questions about what she represents within the story more widely. You know, whether, aside from merely just being a character, she has some, some her character has some kind of symbolic uh, significance. Uh, and it seems to be that of uh yeah sort of sexual awakening lust etc and so if we talk about lust this is a really important uh kind of a whole theory of lust basically is presented here for the first time and so the the character for lust uh in yeah has appeared a few times prior in this novel um, but it's never really gotten the same treatment that uh ching has and so it's really interesting here we see we kind of see the philosophy develops further and we see the, the potential relation between these two, um, these two forms. Yeah. Especially because I think what the author is doing is, is philosophically pretty innovative in that uh, not only in centering Ching, but also in, in kind of reevaluating it and really directly um, addressing its interrelation with Ying which yeah. is usually this term that has, I, I think, a lot of less less um, depth to it, and it has a more straightforward kind of black and white. Yin is bad. Yes, yeah, it's, it's right. negative. It's, it's not just lust so much as it is licentiousness. It, it still ret- retains that flavor here, but I, I, I think that there, there's something going on here that's a little more dynamic than usual. This is the fairy disenchantment explaining to Baoyu. She's going to tell him that you're the most lustful person yeah she's ever met yeah which is uh, a strange thing to say to a 13 year old boy 
<laughs> I mean, it is, but then again, I mean, we've all been 13 before, and maybe there's a certain... Um, that is true. <laughs> and so, let me, let me read this passage. Um, In the rich and noble households of your mortal world, this is disenchantment speaking, too many of those bowers and boudoirs where innocent tenderness and sweet girlish fantasy should reign are injuriously defiled by coarse young voluptuaries and loose wanton girls. And what is even more detestable, there are always any number of worthless philanderers to protest that it is women's beauty alone that inspires them, or loving feelings alone, unsullied by any taint of lust. They lie in their teeth. To be moved by women's beauty is itself a kind of lust. To experience loving feelings is even more a kind of lust. Every act of love, every carnal congress of the sexes, is brought about precisely because sensuous delight in beauty has kindled the feelings of love. You can kind of see what I'm, what I'm uh, gesturing toward. Yeah. Um, there's this tendency to try to uh, divorce love and lust. Yeah. Yeah. To see to, exactly that, to see Qing of what we might call love or loving feeling as something distinct or separable from yin, the lust feeling. Um, right. And as you say, the theory here is, is that they are not only inseparable, but intertwined. Right, right. And so I see a lot of truth in this account. It's very um, kind of familiar to talk about this idea of like, well, I was moved by somebody's beauty. It, it was not my, I did not do so of my own volition. Yeah. Uh, this appears in, in some of the worst kind of modern dialogue, actually. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I actually, prior to reading this, would be inclined toward separating love and lust at least in, in a certain way, but then but then maybe positing a middle ground where maybe there's a gradient, they transition from one to the other. Mm -hmm. And so what they're doing here is not exactly the same, but uh, it's similar, I think. So what, what's what's your theory of, um, of love and lust? I, the, there's an interesting bit a little bit further on where she starts talking about lust of the mind. Um, yes, yes. Which I think is, uh, I don't know, kind of kind of fascinating. She says... That blind, defenseless love with which nature has filled your being is what we call here lust of the mind. Lust of the mind cannot be explained in words, nor if it could, would you be able to grasp their meaning. Either you know what it means, or you don't. Because of this lust of the mind, women will find you a kind and understanding friend. But in the eyes of the world, I am afraid it's going to make you seem unpractical and eccentric. It is going to earn you the jeers of many and the angry looks of many more. Mm. What, what, what do we think of that? Like, um, what, what's she driving at there? The lust of the mind. I mean, in Chinese, it's this term, uh, yi yin. So yin being the, the, the lust word and yi being of thoughts, ideas, meaning that sort of, that's roughly the, the, it's, 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 it's a character that has many, many kind of meanings, but that broadly is, is what it, uh, touches on. Right. I was thinking about that, especially because disenchantment refuses to explain it further. So you're left with a sense of, um, I surely should know what it means. Mm -hmm. I do think that what we're going to see in, this is very much a, uh, a kind of um, prediction and a, um, a characterization of Bao Yu. Yeah. Um, in that the form that his affection takes, the way it's described here, it is a kind of um, unreflective, but also maybe elevated form of um, attachment. Yep. 
um, appreciation, just perception even. A higher form of lust than the, the ordinary physical lust that all others must feel, presumably. Maybe it's less it's less connected to... Um, when you think of um, you know love as um, driving toward consummation, yeah. both literally and you know, metaphorically, mm-hmm. um, this need to always have the completion of the, the feeling, it takes on a kind of game character a kind of zero sum quality to it okay and that can really be um it can really degrade the whole um the whole kind of experience in a way yeah in Bao Yu's case it's not that he is um so materially um his attraction to um Dai Yu doesn't seem to be uh it really does seem to be on a separate plane where it's not necessarily driving toward the inevitable um consummation mm-hmm but rather it's it's like every moment is this frozen every moment's like a piece of artwork every moment's frozen every moment's eternal okay um i think what's also what the disenchantment is getting at is that even this even this form even this like most kind of high-minded most you know picturesque form of love or ching Mm -hmm. is itself a kind of lust It, it is a lust of the world it is still of this mortal coil, it is of the Hong Chen. It is, this, yep. you know, this golden uh, dust. There's a there's a related thing which is just a little bit further on, where she says, "It is my earnest hope that knowing this, you will henceforth be able to shake yourself free of its entanglements and change your previous way of thinking, devoting your mind seriously to the teachings of Confucius and Mencius, and your person wholeheartedly to the betterment of society." I thought this is a very strange little part of the of the text uh because just by way of explanation what she's talking about is she is putting him she's saying that he must spend the night with this this fairy woman who is in the room the one who resembles both balchai and dayu and instructs him in in well kind of how to have sex but she seems to be doing this She's instructing him in the art of love, as it were, um, so that he may escape his entanglements and devote himself to a life of, I, I guess, sort of moral intellectual betterment. Um, that was sort of what I understand understood this to mean. But I thought that I I almost laughed aloud when I read it. Uh, I couldn't <laughs> tell if if uh, Tao is being serious with this or if he's actually making a joke of it. That's a very good question. I had the same reaction. Is this is this a kind of parody? Yeah. On one hand, it's very relatable. You have to get it out of your system, as the expression goes. Yeah. At the same time, um, this is a dream, and so we have this idea of like of like dreams uh, being a kind of wish fulfillment. Yeah. And this is the ultimate wish fulfillment, in which not only are you um, getting to uh, you know uh, copulate with this beautiful um, synthesis of all your like cherished desires yeah. but you're also doing so uh in order to save the world basically yeah so exactly it's, it's a exactly perfect superhero kind of fantasy it is very it's... funny isn't it like this yeah. it's it's uh he he gets to have sex with exactly that like a someone who physically resembles the girls he most fancies in the world and it's absolutely for for a higher moral purpose um my sense is this is definitely supposed to be funny yeah, that's one, my interpretation. I, I I would agree. I mean, you can't be so lacking in self consciousness, like or kind of self awareness, to 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 play this with a straight face. Mm. Um, one uh, term I did just want to pick up on um, 
is the word for having sex here for lovemaking is yun yu, which literally means clouds rain. So the clouds and the rain is a is the euphemism here for sex, and it's not one that I'd come across before. But then I do, I asked some um, some other friends who uh, yeah said that that they are familiar with it. They do know it. Um, it's kind of interesting to me because it's it's a highly indirect way of referring to sex clouds and rain and i haven't looked into the etymology of it or, or kind of where this comes from i want to know whether it's you know something you 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 understood the background of at all or or i'm not sure of the first reference i, I know this has a, a long pedigree yeah i thought it's interesting in this context because we've seen so many um associations between women and and water and, and also the, the character uh ian yeah. um it has the the, the water radical it's water which is not it, yeah fanatic but, but rather but rather um semantic yeah and so it's definitely kind of of a, of a piece i wonder after reading this passage whether i should go back i'm really curious now to get a better sense for what really does confucius and mencius say um about about ching about yeah. ian what is their theory of desire what is their theory of um of love and and, and longing and attachment yeah and whether there actually is beyond the joke, whether there is a serious critique of that whole worldview, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just one other thing I wanted to touch on actually is the name of the uh, the fairy girl, which you know who is who is presented to Bao Yu. She is called Ke Qing, which we later find out was this this nickname given to Lady Qin when she was younger. But she is also called Jian Mei. May being beautiful or kind of beauty generally, and Jian meaning union or combination. Now Hawks translates it as two in one, which I, I find to be like a it, it, it captures some of the meaning, but it's it's sort of incongruous in a way because it's I don't know it, it's it's it sounds like some kind of product that you pick up on a shelf um, at a shop. But but yeah, the combined beauties basically is her name, and so so I guess it's just making express what was already very clearly implied that this figure is the combination of Dayu and Balchai. Double beauty. Yeah, she's got them both. Yeah, I, I want to look more on the um, what the kind of the the connotation of Kuching is. My first reaction would be like like you could Ching. It's like it's possible or the uh, the possibility of love, something like that. Yeah. Um, even though it's a different, it's a different character for Ching, but we've we've talked about Ching so much. That yeah, the homophony is there at this point. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's Ke is of course can possible. You know, something that can happen. The Ching is. Uh, it can be a term of address between husband and wife, so it can be a term of endearment. But weirdly enough, it's also a term for a a high ranking official or or minister. So yeah, it has these two kind of. Um, these two kind of meanings but yeah apparently it does have the the sense of uh a term of endearment i suppose you could say so not only in does it have the the homophony of qing as in love but also it has a a you know it's hints at something in that direction anyway in its innate meaning let's move on to maybe the, the next morning we're getting toward the end of the chapter but there's still a really important like section here so they wake up the next morning He's, you know, he's in, he's in the, locked in the arms with Kaching, And now they emerge from the bedroom and they're going for a, a nice pleasant stroll hand in hand. Yep. And, and suddenly things get a little bit dark, right? Yeah. 
suddenly you see wolves and tigers like lurking about. The road ends at the edge of a dark ravine. There's no bridge connecting it to the other side. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Disenchantment comes up running behind them, very alarmed. Yep. Uh, and she says, stop, stop. You know, turn back at once. Turn back. Mm-hmm. And Bao Yu is alarmed. And he asks her, what is this place? Mm-hmm. And I'll read from the, um, the Hawks translation here. This is the Ford of Error, uh, said Disenchantment. It is 10,000 fathoms deep and extends hundreds of miles in either direction. No boat can ever cross it. Only a wooden raft manned by a lay brother called Num and an acolyte called Dumb. Num holds a steering paddle and Dumb wields a pole. They won't ferry anyone across for money, but only take those who are fated to cross over. Um, this is pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. And I was trying to figure out what Hawks has as Ford of Error in the original is Mijin. Yep. I, I think literally is like a kind of I guess there's different ways to translate this. It could be just a maze or more literally maybe something like a, a bewildering, a ford as in a river crossing. Yeah. That's where Hawks is getting the ford of error from. Yeah. Although I, I wonder if that's maybe an over-translation. Um, but um, I agree, yeah. Me is this word which has many meanings. I mean, it's in, you know, in common vernacular, it's often used to mean lost. Me, uh, lo, is this, this me? But it also here means you know, charmed somehow or bewitched maybe. Um, right. And so, yeah, error is an interesting way because it, well, I suppose what he's going for is the fact that error can mean mistake, of course, uh, but it has a sense of uh, errant as well, meaning wandering lost. Um, okay. I suppose that, that was how I kind of understood it. My kind of misgivings with that translation is that the notion of error has already been so important for this, this story. Yeah. I was expecting something related to. We remember that uh, Newall was an error in producing the the stone in the first place. Yeah. And so I was wondering, like, oh, are we? Is this a similar conceptual space? Mm-hmm. And and my sense is no. Yeah. That this isn't related in any direct way, at least. What it does seem to, this idea of the uh, the wooden raft, mm-hmm. the um, uh, mufa, that really, for I mean. This is a pretty like softball pitch in terms of like psychoanalysis, but this is like this is clearly, in my opinion, you know, representing a coffin. This is this is definitely like a, the passage to death. Interesting, interesting. Especially because you you can only go there if you're if you're dumb and numb, which is what happens when you when you die. Yeah, and 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 it it definitely does have that sense of parallel with uh, the crossing of the river Styx, uh, as we mentioned before. Right, right. Uh, uh that definitely, definitely. Um, I was thinking a lot about this, like what what this part of the um, why this is here, what what the author was thinking, what this might, how this relates to. It almost seems as if we have this representation where um, this disenchantment fairy um, land is. It's like it's not real, but it's not as unreal as death itself. Maybe like it's it's again it's 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 in a liminal intermediary space. Mm-hmm. And so even even disenchantment, who is all about you know testing the bounds of reality, and she has all these these books that tell you what's going to happen in the future and the past, and they're very cryptic, but they like everything's there, all the meaning of the universe is still there, but there's like still something beyond that, which is oblivion is still this other realm. I don't know if that's maybe if if the author is, is drawing from pre-existing Buddhist motifs or, or not. Uh, but those are the kind of associations that, that came to my mind. Yeah, I don't know enough about it, but I just I did think it was fascinating that there's this ju- juxtaposition of 
uh, incipient sexual awakening and death. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. side by side. Um, and also something about, because they are taking a walk together hand in hand, enjoying, you know, this like uh, newfound, well, the sort of f- physical, sensual pleasure of each other. And it's in that state that they encounter this um, terrible, uh, terrible kind of threat or menace. And yeah, yeah, I suppose it's suggesting that the one can lead to the other somehow, um, that he could be kind of lost in it. I was just actually reading back, just looking at the names of what Hawks translates as numb and dumb. In the Chinese, the two, the two figures are called mu ju shi and uh, hui shi jia. Mu ju shi literally means the, the one who lives in wood, something like that. Right. Um, something like that. And that very much ties in with your uh, linking to the coffin before. Right, right. Hmm. And, and then uh, hui shi jia is, hui is, is, is ash. Yeah, yeah. Or dust. Um, yeah. Shi is um, to wait upon, to, you know, to attend upon. And Jia is, again, just a, a, a character meaning one who does this, you know. Right, um, exactly. And so it's more explicit even in the, in, the, in the original Chinese that these are strongly associated with death. The coffin, the coffin dweller and the, the, the one who attends upon or even carries the ashes, you know. Right. And ash is kind of the ultimate dust, yeah. the, the metaphorical mm. um, space that we've been uh, addressing so far. Yeah. And so there's a lot of danger. It seems as if at one point in time that um, there's a multitude of demons and water monsters reaching up and, and clutching at him, to, trying to, to pull him down. It, it gets really like it's a nightmare all of a sudden. Yeah. It's been really yeah. good so far. Um, but I, I just want to briefly mention that one of the, um, the two things that reach up for him are Ye Cha and Hai Gui. And so Hai Gui are literally sea ghosts, sea spirits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cha is a weird one because it literally means night fork. Yeah, is night and Cha is a fork. But it's, uh, a, it's the Chinese word for a Buddhist kind of demon called a Yaksha. Right. Which is, which is yeah, it's a, kind of, um, it's a kind of spirit which, on my understanding, can be actually positive but also can be malevolent, I suppose, uh, as it definitely is in this case. I don't remember exactly what they look like, but I can recall having read a story that there's a, a more modern Chinese horror story called Ye Cha about this Yaksha, where if, from what I remember, the Yaksha is depicted as, as a woman in white, I believe. Um, I, I, I would need to go back and check, but I, but I think that that was um, what I remember, which, which kind of, yeah, a sort of interesting way of... of, of, of picturing the types of spirits they're they're talking about as you were talking i was looking up images of, of yaksha and yet yeah, they're kind of all over the place um and so yeah. i'm not sure how exactly to in summation kind of characterize them but yeah it, it is it, do, it does seem to be uh like a lone word so these are reaching up out of the abyss to grab him and at that point he begins crying out in fear for ke Qing to save him and this is the point at which he emerges from the dream so you know it's been a it's been a long journey um, and yeah, he wakes himself up, calling out for Kerching. Anyway, his 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 various maids rush in to um, to check that he's okay, to reassure him that everything's fine, saying, "Don't you know? Don't worry, we're here. We're here. It's okay." And of course, Lady Chen is surprised that he he would call out the name she used as a child, mm. yeah. which presumably he shouldn't know. 
Yeah. Which again, uh, kind of um, speaks to dreams and their like their magical their magical capacity, but but also as I guess something that is rooted in in, in the forms of the past. Yep. Not simply especially at this time dreams are so heavily associated with what's going to happen in the future and we saw a lot yeah, of that in the obviously. dream but we also see um it really seems like the author has a, a kind of a, an acute sensitivity to this idea that you know our dreams are um are composed of uh of like past forms past images yeah uh, whether you want to conceive of that you know literally or or in a, a more spiritual um, sense mm-hmm. right, that's the end of the chapter um that's when we leave it yeah do you have any predictions going forward? Final comments? <laughs> I mean, I can't help but glance at the title of the next chapter because it's right here. And, you know, for, for each chapter, there are, there are kind of two subheadings um, that describe what's going to happen in the chapter. So, for example, in this chapter five, the, the chapter is headed, uh, Jia Baoyu visits the land of illusion and the fairy disenchantment performs the dream of golden days. Uh, the next chapter begins... Mm-hmm. Jabayu conducts his first experiment in the art of love. So we've got that to look forward to next time. Um, I would, I would certainly have guessed that, having been um, awoken to his newfound aware, yeah, this awareness of of sex and sexual feeling, and all of the sort of multitude of interest that comes with that. Um, yeah, I, I, I expect we won't be leaving it there. I think it will continue to develop. Uh, we'll see more of that as the as the story progresses. <laughs> <laughs>